Welcome to the Creative Plan Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. All right, let's just go old school. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll just talk about it. Yeah, precaution to the wind. Yeah. Yeah, the first one I just was seated in my pants, and that was not a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's a little fun. See, that's the, that's <laughs> the way I write, so I. Yeah. Well, sure, but. Then I was in this panel, I'll never forgive Joe for this panel. (laughs) It was, if you can't be Spider-Man, be yourself, but if you can't be yourself, be Okay, and so that's good for five minutes of conversation in an hour-long panel. And that was just really, there were two Ghostbusters in the room. They had a TV ghost show, ghost hunting show. And the other person was an astrophysicist. And there was just little me in my first panel. <laughs> Tuscan has a traditional way of handling this. When, when the topic does that, we just go off the rails. And yeah, yeah. Exactly. screw the topic. I just did it guess. So, yeah, we went off the rails. And mostly the people were there to stare at the ghost hunters. <laughs> so it was fun. But still, were they staring in the right corner? No, they were staring at the ghost hunters oh, to see if ghosts. anything spooky would happen around them. Maybe. I don't know. That was fun. Why are you here? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about ebooks. Yes, yeah. ebooks. Whatever happens. Well, let's e-books. first introduce ourselves. Oh, okay. Um, I am Jennifer Ashley. Uh, I'm the guest of honor this year, which is really nice. Um, I've written a hundred books, no, more than a hundred books. Um, I'm both uh, published with uh, Penguin Random House as well as self-published, and I have brought a lot of stats about ebooks versus print here, so we'll be good. I'm Diana. Uh, I've not written that many books, but I have a lot of plots, <laughs> so maybe I'll get there someday. <laughs> I'm Frankie Robertson, and I've written about 14. Uh, so I've got a lot of catching up to do. Yes. And she doesn't show any signs of, of uh, slowing down, so I don't think there's much hope for me. Um, I write mostly uh, romantic fantasy and uh, paranormal romance or urban fantasy, depending on what you would prefer to define it as. Uh, and by Bam's prime to self-published, I was a hybrid author for a short period of time. Um, it was uh, published with a small press, and then I thought, yeah, I can do this. And so that's where I am right now. I'm Thomas Watson. Um, I haven't published nearly as much as ours. <laughs> but I, I am up to nine, and coming up on ten in ten years. So I'm, I'm pleased with the way the newest one, which will come out unfortunately after the con, is. I've got a little card up here for it if you're curious about it. Pick one. Um, I am entirely self-published, and in, in, in keeping with the topic, almost everything I sell is an ebook format. Uh, paperbacks outside of Tuscan, you know, you guys do be proud every year. But, man, online. <clears throat> we do have. A, I have a book coming out in the beginning of next year. The third in the Chloe series, which is a post-apocalyptic trilogy so far. Also, I've written some novellas. I'm thinking we'll put into one, one volume, but maybe we'll just do 99 cent ebooks or something. We'll see. 
Well, to get this started, uh, this looks like you have statistics and I have statistics, and so why don't you get started with it? Okay, I totally forgot to tell you like what I wrote. Um, just a lot. I've You're still reeling from the numbers. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. My uh, next in February it will be my 20th anniversary. I'll have been a published author for 20 years. So you know I had time to, to accumulate. Um, I write um, a lot of things. I write um, in the write-up and the in the in the program that. Chris did so nicely. Um, it shows a lot of the stuff I write. I, I write uh, mysteries. I have three mystery series going, one set in ancient Rome. Um, I do paranormal romance, which is mine, or have a lot of fantasy elements and a lot of action adventure in it with some romance. Um, I do straightforward romances of historical and contemporary. I do some fantasy. I have a, a fantasy series set in Arizona, in northern Arizona. That are really enjoying, and I'm trying to get rights back for that series actually, so I can sell it. Um, and I, to prepare for this, I was I was looking up um, my sales. Is this actually? You're on there. Oh my goodness! I'm, can you hear me? Uh, you can turn sure. off the mic too. Can you hear us now? Okay, is that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that way up. Right. And then it does that. Okay. I think you killed it. <laughs> it's, I, I could make a lot of jokes about that right yeah. now. <laughs> it's not that kind of panel, right? Could be. After 10. Okay, anyway, the, so the theme is um, I was prepared to say ebooks have gone nowhere. I mean, they're still here, not as they've gone nowhere. But yeah, uh, Ten years ago, everyone was saying, oh, the print book is dead, the tree, you know, the dead tree books are gone. Um, and we've figured out as time goes on, it's not actually true. Um, especially in some genres, like young adult, that print sales seem to be very strong there still. Um, and also in mainstream fiction and literary fiction, that seems to be very strong. In genre fiction, like fantasy, sci-fi, romance, mystery, kind of, it's not really true. And the problem with a lot of statistics you hear in the media is uh, they come from like the Booksellers Association who do not look at self-published books in their stats. So that skews it a big way. Every time this comes out, all the authors group by men are going, eh, they don't know anything. So um, in my stats that I will share with you, um, so books I've published at Penguin Random House have about 40 titles there. And I don't have exact numbers for those titles because, you know, for a publisher to actually give you the exact numbers of what you're selling would be a miracle. <laughs> but I do have percentages. Um, and my traditionally published books, which are mysteries and romances and fantasy, um, are between 70% and 85% ebooks. And this is through a traditional publisher where they are pricing my latest series. They are pricing those books at eleven ninety nine for eBooks, which I think is astronomical. And I'm amazed anyone actually buys them. But I'm still selling seventy five percent eBooks and twenty five percent print. And this was a reason that I uh, looked at that and said I'm going to start self publishing more because if I'm selling eighty uh, one series, I'm selling eighty five percent eBooks. Why am I giving my publisher all that money when I can keep it for me? Okay, uh, and in self-publishing, this is probably not gonna be astonishing that most of my sales are eBooks. And in 2020, I sold 100,261 eBooks, and paperbacks was 6,585. So you can see that's a big percentage of, of, um, of eBooks. So my premise is, you know, eBooks, are still there and so on and hopefully we have still an hour so go ahead sure we do even if we go off the rails i'm told that is a tradition <laughs> so so yeah i don't think ebooks went anywhere i think they're still out there the problem is when people that are novices say hey i can write a book and then they don't get an editor and they don't get a beta readers and they just publish the thing that flew off the top of their head and so you kind of kind of be careful 
when you're out there looking for a book to read is we stick to the authors we know. Uh, maybe take a chance on a free book that you can easily delete. <laughs> but I think that also audiobooks are a big thing now too. Do you sell audiobooks? You do. Do you know a percentage? Well, I did get the stats for that. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. I listen to audiobooks. I read books in book Diane, form. Your, your mic is, is Okay, I'm putting it back here. Is that better? Yeah. I like all the books. I think all books are equal. But I've also run into a lot of people that say that paper is the only kind of book that is a real book. And if you don't read it in an actual paper book, then it's not it's not real and it's not reading anymore. And in, in my opinion, if you get the author's words into your brain meat, that's reading, <laughs> no matter how you do it. Oh, I think that's very true. And I do think that audiobooks are starting to erode some of the ebook uh, market share, but I think that uh, self publishing is still a very viable option when it comes to creating your own ebooks or your own print books. And I'll second, uh, I'm sorry, your name again. Diana. Diana. Um, I will second Diana's observation that if you're going to think about self publishing, you really need to think of it as in every way, be professional and do what you can to make sure that it is properly edited, properly formatted, you get the professional cover, all of those things. And you can screen for less than optimal books. I mean, let's face it, we all have very limited time and there are a bazillion books out there grow and growing. So I have to say, Amazon's Look Inside feature is something I use every time I buy a book unless it is like one of like three authors out there, which I buy their books regardless. You know, if they, if they write it, you know, I will come. Um, Amazon what? Amazon's Look Inside feature, you know, when you have the, like the, that little logo thing above the picture of the book, you just click on the cover of the book and they will, in most cases, they have uh, an opportunity to read the first, I don't know, 10% of the book. I think it's actually pushing 20%, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I, was, I wanted to be conservative. <laughs> you yeah. can tell there's a lot of grammatical, and I'm such a stickler for that. And of course, it still gets into your books. You still need an editor. But if you start seeing a million grammatical errors and misspellings and lack of punctuation, or just, I just. Well, to me, it's just, it's just style. I mean, too. Yeah, it's like, that it's, too. Uh, yes, you're screaming for quality, but you're also looking at a question of. Of whether or not it's just going to suit you or not. And uh, print book sales are still very healthy, uh, and, but when the, the ABA reports on sales, and I remember seeing a graph where it showed how, uh, two, two comparable uh, graphs actually. One was showing how ebooks were performing over the last uh, four or five years, and the other one was talking, and they also showed print books. And the, and the little bar that was showing print was like going sky high and I'm thinking well yeah because self-published books which are at least 30 to 35 percent of the ebook market um, are not being reported many of us do not bother to get ISBN numbers ISBN numbers for the uh, for their books so you just go ahead and or they're assigned by the, the your publishing distributor um, those things are not being counted the same way as the what the, the big what is the big four now? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's still five, but they're they're fighting together. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's, but you know, the, so those numbers are skewed, and you can't always trust the numbers. You have to look at where. It, well, it, actually, this is true for any piece of information you get off of the internet. Consider the source. Always automatically. Yeah, you know, the closest thing I know. He has a question. Well, actually, I just wanted to mention something. Uh, I had an experience with like, on the look inside feature. It, it, you should go on every website you're on and look inside your own books. I found on Barnes and Noble's website that they had stripped all the quotation marks out of my books. <laughs> and uh, they, I talked to them. They couldn't help me. They had no idea what was going on, which is typical for Barnes and Noble. And I finally learned that they're. HTML interpreter is strictly XHTML compatible and it will only accept certain tokens 
for quotation marks. So look inside all your own books on all your own sites because there wasn't a quotation mark in any of 15 books. Do you use uh, draft to digital to get your books to them? Pardon me? Do you, do, do you use draft to digital to get your books to them? No, I, I wrote my own converter that converts from my Word manuscripts to EPUB and Moby. draft to digital ran into that and they came up with a workaround so that when they upload your manuscript, it doesn't. I, the, work, the workaround is just to be strictly XHTML compatible. And I, if anyone has, is curious what that means, I can tell you. But and mostly you needed to know that it had to be done. Once they found out, yeah. everything's good. Yeah. You know, as far as numbers go, I was doing some poking around online the way the other two here did. And I left, I couldn't find the notes this morning to save myself. But you quoted a number for ebooks. books. What was it, 30 uh, Well, of self-published books, self 30 to 35% of them are self-published. And that's, and I can't tell you what year that information came from. The one thing that stuck in my mind from when I was looking things up, but this is from last year, that of the e-books sold in the United States total, on the high side of 60% of them are self-published. So when the traditional publishing industry says everything is leveled out just for them, the rest of us, we're up here somewhere. You know, it's the ebooks are still. In fact, my, when I saw the topic, when I saw the title of this thing, my first thought was, "What happened to ebooks? <laughs> Why didn't anybody tell me?" You know, because when I look at my sales, which are almost exclusively on Amazon these days, um, the overwhelming majority of them, my, the best title I have right now is not science fiction. It's a book about a dog called Toby, and I sell somewhere between two and three hundred ebook copies a month. I mean, it's been phenomenally successful for me uh, in ebook. Paperback sales of the same book is somewhere on the low side of 12 every month. I mean, to say there's a disconnect there would be a monumental understatement. But it's, you know, there's something about, uh, something about, I think it's a combination of the fact that we price our books lower, making them more accessible so people are more likely to give ebooks a try. Let's, let's see if this works. And I don't know about anybody else, when I, once I started using an e reader, Realizing that it didn't affect my arthritis much to hold it, you know, that changed everything for me. Uh, the other thing, but the whole idea about print books were going to go by the wayside, become extinct, become the dinosaurs, and ebooks should be everything. My first reaction to that 10 or 12 years ago was really, I remember when home computers and business computers came in and we were going to become a paperless society. <laughs> so anybody believed that that was going to happen, it rocks in his head. Now, I work in a law office, and we're supposed to be paperless, but it's not, not ever paperless. But we don't have as much paper as the other smaller law firm that's right in our same space. Uh, they have boxes of paper. We have, for all of my five case files, I have this much paper, whereas they've got file cabinets full of paper. So we're doing it, but it's never going to be paperless. And we have to remember, we're still early days. It's we're really only about 10, maybe 11 years into the, the when ebooks became truly viable. I mean, I have, that's one thing we can credit Amazon doing. There were many e readers before that, before Kindle came along. But Amazon did the things that were necessary to make it, put them into people's hands. And once they were actually in people's hands, they started to realize that. Hey, this works. This is easy. This is I can carry. I can carry my library with me where when I go on vacation. There's so many options that Amazon made available to us that then they made it possible for us to have this uh, career. I think of writing self-published books. Um, I picked up. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to jump in and say a few more things about print publishing in the uh, <coughs> trad publishing world. A couple of things is they deliberately price their ebooks higher so that the print product is more attractive. Um, like I said, my, my ebooks for this new mystery series are $11.99, and the print products, a lot of the bookstores will discount them to like $12.99. So when you're shopping, you're like, well, I might as well spend another buck and get a, get a real book. Um, so they do that, but even despite this, my books in, and also as self-published authors, one reason our print numbers are low is we don't have our books in bookstores. I can I can sell off any website, but I can't get my books in every Walmart in the country. Um, so that kind of skews us toward higher ebook sales. Um, but in spite of that, you know, my books are in Barnes and Noble and, and other places. 
I'm still selling 75% ebooks. So that's that's an interesting thing to me. Also, last year especially, the print world took a huge hit and they're still taking it. Um, I remember there was, I, I got lucky this didn't happen to me, but a lot of authors last year, their books could not get shipped to the bookstores in time for their releases. And so a lot of them had to be pushed forward several months and I had an August release and the books, the bookstores would not feature my book or have me come in for a signing or do a virtual sign or whatever. Um, because so many of the spring authors had moved to August, September that me, I was nobody. So they were like, well, we're not even gonna push your book at all. So, you know, for some reason I still got sales, but I don't know how. Um, so that, and also now uh, some printers have gone out of business in the United States. So they have to import all the print books and now with the supply chain issues, I mean, it's just a complete mess. So I'm really surprised that you know, we're still in print. They're kind of recovering. Yeah. Um, you said that your publishing house was pricing your ebooks at almost $12. Yeah. How big are your books? I'm curious. Those are trade paperback size books, and they're about, uh, I don't know, page count, probably about 300 pages. Okay. They're, they're 80 to 90,000 word books. Mm -hmm. So that's, and uh, I do mass market paperbacks as well, and those they price at seven ninety nine for the back, for the ebook, seven ninety nine for the print. So it's exactly the same. Um, and one more point I'll make, and I'll shut up, uh, is that uh, a lot of people. Okay, I sell a lot of audiobooks, and I don't have any stats for audiobooks, but I do know that people who buy my audiobooks also buy the ebook because they love to read along while somebody's narrating. To me, I, I don't. I don't understand that myself because this would drive me crazy. But um, a lot of a lot of people like to do that. So you make an audiobook sale, you make an ebook sale. I like to switch back and forth sometimes. Yeah, so I don't. A lot of I don't do. I like people reading to me, but nobody in my life wants to. Why? <laughs> <laughs> but so the audiobooks are awesome for me. But sometimes it's like, well, I can't really listen to a book. I'll just read it. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Or <laughs> Speak up. So I went on Amazon to look at my books and my fourteen ninety nine book was listed for forty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my cut? Yeah. Well that could be from a secondary or yeah, third party to the seller. I, I looked at one time and somebody was trying to sell uh, Lightbringer for eighty-seven dollars, and I thought, "Is it well, signed? <laughs> is it signed?" No, it's just, a, it's just a, somebody oh, so bought it and resold the, it. Yeah. Something that came to light about that because I had a book once that was like four hundred seventy-five dollars, and I'm like, "What? The? Really?" Um, yeah, periodically, I get somebody contact me. Some of it is something's going on. Some of it is money laundering. They will, they will sell a book for you know a legitimate sale, and then whoever is doing it will buy that book, and it's it's an under laundering thing. Obviously, we're not in the right business. Like <laughs> <laughs> said, where's my cash? <laughs> so I know this might be a little nosy, and you may not want to answer it, but what is your when you sell a book electronically versus paper? What is your cut? In other words, you get the same amount, whether it's e or paper. Well, okay. With my traditional publisher at Penguin Random House, they give me okay. My in the trade paperback, which is a large size like that, is uh, I get what is it? Seven percent of the cover price. So the cover price is fifteen dollars. So whatever, whatever. I can't do math. So whatever that is, um, it's like a dollar or something. Um, in ebooks, it's. It's 25% uh, of the net, whatever that is. It works out to right now to be about 15% of the cover price. Okay, when I self-publish, I get 70% of the cover price. If the book is, is priced over $2.99, you get 70%. If it's under $2.99, depending on the vendor, like Amazon gives you 35%. Uh, Kobo will give you 40%. Kobo and Apple will give you 40%. Barnes & Noble is now giving you 70% across the board so I, I love them for many reasons they drive me crazy um, and then prints we it, it depends on how you price your book you can make anywhere from a dollar to three dollars a copy depending on how how big 
because you have to price it by how uh, many pages it is, how big it is, and the the printer takes their cuts and the vendor takes their cuts. So you end up with anywhere between one and three dollars. If you're doing your if you do your paperbacks through uh, Amazon too, it gets a little dicey. If you're using what they call their expanded distribution, that means somebody like Barnes and Noble can order the paperback for you for somebody. They're going to get it from their competitor, Amazon, which they don't like to do. But independent bookstores can order them. And I've seen books go through their, the paperbacks go through their expanded distribution system. And I've literally gotten five cents on a $14 paperback by the time my part, I mean, it's literally five or six cents. I always check it off because I don't want to discourage people anywhere from buying. You can get around that by uh, using Ingram Spark to upload your books because Ingram Spark will distribute it to Barnes & Noble. And so you can keep that price a little little better and get a better I probably percentage. I investigated that early on and the reason I haven't done it yet is because I sell such a vanishing small number of paper bags. It's just, you know it's one of those things that I'll someday get around to. Yeah. Well and as far as Ingram Spark goes, I know I have another friend who's also self publishing and she feels like Ingram Spark is a real pain in the butt to navigate compared to Amazon. Uh, but I believe Draft to Digital is starting at print, yeah. uh, yes. making print yes. available. They're going through Ingram Spark, but, but their interface is much easier. Yes, yes Ingram Spark is. A I have to remember to check that out. <laughs> yeah, me too. In our copious spare time. Do you use both, for paperbacks, do you use both? Yes, I do both because what I do is the Amazon one. I just do Amazon only because then that expanded distribution sucks out all your royalties. And Ingram Spark, I can I have to price the book a little bit higher than on Amazon, but it will go to Barnes and Noble and everywhere else in the universe. And also booksellers like ordering from Ingram Spark. They do not like ordering from Amazon. But yeah, the Draft to Digital has now got its uh, print program going and I think I think Kobo is starting one too. I think so. Ingram Spark's quality of, of print books was a little higher than uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. How do you go about marketing your books? Great difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> Come here and say my book is awesome. <laughs> that's one. Yep, yeah, that's one thing. Well, there are there are a variety of of places that you can run ads, and uh, those help improve your visibility. But what I have found, probably because I'm not as aggressive about what I could do in other in some of the free venues, uh, I just don't have the name recognition yet to get people to say, oh, well, let me just check out the new Frankie Robertson book. And there's, a, I mean, really, like I, I, was, I jokingly said there's a bazillion books out there, but I think that's actually pretty close. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of competition. Even, uh, even if you discount the, what, 70% of books, e-books out there that are direct, there's still 30% of a bazillion is still a big number. Um, so there's a lot of competition. And uh, it, it, I have found in my own experience that uh, the only uh, venue that produces a positive return on investment is uh, if I'm lucky enough to get a book bug feature. Uh, that, has, <coughs> that produces a bigger spike in sales and it produces a longer lasting boost in sales. And so, that's my main goal right now is to keep on getting book bug features. Which is easier said than done. And part of the reason that they're so successful in, in, in terms of, of creating revenue is because they do curate. Whereas some of the other ad places will list, give you 25 or 50 books that they're promoting that month or that day, excuse me. Um, you'll get a promotion, a, a newsletter that promotes seven and offering book book. And that means that you get a lot more attention from the people receiving that. People trust them. The, the people who subscribe to their newsletter trust them to only offer good books. How yeah, do you go about getting that? Oh. You submit and hope. Okay, I, submit, I, I, submit. Can, yeah. I, can, I can, I just came off a conference last week 
last weekend, which was all, it was an author conference and it was all about marketing. So I'm like, yeah, I'm really pumped up to do this marketing. So, um, and these are from people who have written more books than me in a shorter time and made like millions of dollars. So I said, I'll listen to them and take notes. Um, anyway, for BookBub, uh, what you do is you persistently submit. What I do is I have a list of books that I'm willing to discount. And as soon as they reject one, I am right back with the next one. I mean, the hour, an hour later, I can go, oh, they didn't take my, my submission. They rejected me. Okay, here's another one. And I, my attitude is I can do this all day. Every time you reject me, I'm getting another one. Another thing you can do is, okay, for that, if you submit one book and they reject it, you can't submit that book until another 30 days or a month later. However, if you submit a book for, say, a 99 cent deal and they say no, you can turn around and a minute later submit it for a free deal and they might say yes. It's actually easier to get a free deal um, because, I don't know why, but it is easier to get a free deal from them. Um, and free is good. A lot of people don't say I can't, I can't afford to give away books, but yes, you, yes, you can. Um, they're best for first in series because you grab the reader's attention in your first book and they want to read all the others. It's most effective if you have a series that has you know more than two books in it. Um, I started promoting a series when I was on book 10. I got a book bub on book one and I took that series from doing okay to that series making USA Today on all my new releases. Okay, that's I mean it was doing yeah it's okay. But and now it's like my biggest seller and it's it's my bread and butter series. And it kills me that this year my schedule got mixed up and I, I couldn't get a book in that series out this year. But he's coming in March. But anyway, um, so with BookBub, persistence is key and just how you just don't get so emotional about it when you get rejected that we can't keep going because, and they even say, I mean the ladies from BookBub was at this convention. So she said, basically when they reject you, they're just saying, we don't have a slot for that right now. They might have a slot for it next month. Mm -hmm. They might have a slot for another one of your books. It just, it, and it's, I don't know what voodoo they use, but um, they just have this criteria. And I've had a book do really well in a book club and submit it again like six months later and they reject it. And then three months later they take it. So there's really no rhyme or reason. It's just you just gotta keep hammering. Because they have a, a variety, and they need to fill yeah. the slots in that, exactly. so that there's something for everybody. And if your book is wide instead of in Kindle Unlimited, you have a little bit better chance. Everything she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, and and so that means that if you're a, somebody who's really serious about writing, you write a lot of different series so that you can submit the first book in a lot of different series, keep, keep rotating through them. Um, I, that's my goal now, is to expand the number of series and also to expand, the, to improve the speed at which I write so that I can put out a book in every series or at least two, a book in two series a year. Gee, what do you write, about six books a year? Uh, five to six, yeah. well, four to five books a year. So. Yeah, outside well, of books. What, what? The author marketing convention? Oh, what, what, what it was called? Oh, that was called Romance Author Mastermind. And it's an invitation only convention. It's very expensive, worth every penny. It taught me more than I have learned from any other convention ever. So, but you, there's a, if you just, say romance author mastermind and it's not just for romance authors even though it says romance um they do have a lot of mystery authors a lot of fantasy authors in it too um but if you google that there's a website and you can put in uh you think there's a form you can fill out to show you have you been to me no i have not i hear that's a really good one i haven't been this one i think was better a lot of, a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. I think you were next. Um, Frankie, you said um, you wanted to expand the new series, but there's a school of thought out there that you should write one series and write the 37th volume in that series, and that's how it 
maximize the you know revenue. Uh, I'd be interested in anyone on the panel, uh, but especially you, Frank, in that concept. But what do you think of that concept? Uh, I I think that has merit. Uh, I don't know that I would go to the. A lot would depend to me on how well the series was selling. Uh, I, it's like I have this this book has been featured numerous times on with the book book feature. I've been very fortunate that it fits into a category that is underserved, so they will almost always take it on the first go, and then sometimes I have to submit it a second time. Oh, poor me! Um, but the other book series that I've written. Uh, it, they, I've submitted the first book in that series, I don't know how many times, and it still hasn't caught. So I think that, and so, and so and as a result, that series just doesn't perform as well. So I think that uh, also by having a deeper series, anywhere from four to seven books in that area, minimum four, if you make the first book free, you wind up selling more books. I mean, you just it, because if that book is featured on BookBub, you will sell books, and it will make a difference. There's a flip side there too. That school of thought is largely coming from self-published authors. Yes, it is. When you go, and I just, I recommend this to people who want to publish their own stuff. There are groups aimed at readers only, places like Facebook and Goodreads. You really don't, you don't have to spend a lot of time participating because you should follow them and get a sense for the opinions. And the longer a series gets, the more animosity it generates. Because there is a large group of readers out there that really get tired of people not rapping. They see it as a money grab, lazy. You know, you're not developing anything new. You're just reiterating the same thing. And series out there that have, you know, 10, 15, 20 or more volumes in it, very quickly you start seeing nothing. But if somebody will post, have you seen the latest in this one? And the comments are generally negative, so there's there's a limited uh, there, there's a limit somewhere there. I don't know where, what number you can stick to it, but there's a limit to how far you can get away with that before the people who are reading the book are just not bothering to say anything. And the people that are adverse to this kind of endless series idea, I mean, I've, I didn't, I've published a kind of a code to my five book series, and I got a lot of flag for other. I thought it was only to be a five book series. It is. This is not book six. It's in the same universe. But I was shocked at the amount of negative feedback I got on that new book. I was like, wow. I've seen a lot, another way of handling it too is that you can, uh, this is from a romance author, but she wrote, like, here's a four book series for this family. But all of her books are set in the same universe. So she writes this series, series A, and it deals with this group of people. But then she leaves it open, she you know, has secondary characters. And she goes, okay, now here's another series. It's all, the tone is the same, the peep, the, the, the milieu is the same. Robin Hobb does that. Yes, and, and I was thinking of Bruce Burroughs, who right. writes historical romance. And I don't see the same kind of negative feedback from that tag. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. that it's works out. It's totally the same role, different entry points into that yeah. series. So, so each one has the overall story arc, beginning, middle, end? For the yeah. four or five books, yeah. or they're connected arcs. I mean, I'm about to embark on something like that. But the five book series I mentioned, at the end of that, there are three children involved who have been born during this conflagration period, and I'm setting a, a, a set of four books, 20 years, 22 years in the future from that point, and it's their adventures. These three kids are growing up and find they're they're adults now. They're finding their place in in the universe. It refers back to the events of that series. Their parents are in the very first book, you know, those, those adults that were fighting that war. But nothing nothing really carries over into that into that story arc from the uh, the original story, but they're very definitely related because these are the direct descendants of those characters. And I'm hoping by doing it that way, I don't get the pushback that I see sometimes. Let me just add, um, I am famous for writing a zillion series. Um, the problem with writing more than one series is that as soon as you start a series, a new series, you're starting all over again. It's, it's like starting at the very beginning. And I've had series that do really fabulously well. And I've had series that tank. So you just never know. And you think, well, you know, I'm, this series did well. If I do another one, those readers will come over. They want that. They don't want that. Okay. So you, you are kind of starting from there. That doesn't stop me. 
I'm nervous. Well, I was going to comment on Jim's thing as a reader. I'm not a writer. I will never be a writer. If you're writing 20 books in a series and I walk in looking for a new author and I see 20 books, I go, I'm not going to make that investment. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to start a 20 book series. Okay? I have read some 20 book series. I might. Okay? I might too. But I started with the author who was the first or second book. I much prefer a new series. It can be in the same world. But a new series. Brandon Sanderson wrote the 13th book in the Wheel of Time 24 years after Robert Jordan published the first one. Yeah, the only endless series I've encountered so far that I can tolerate, and I do more than tolerate, is C.J. Sherry's set of foreigner books. Those ones I stopped reading after number nine. She I, promised I, it was going to be nine. <laughs> <laughs> she, it's CJ Sherry. She doesn't have to. And when I saw number 10, <laughs> I almost thought about selling my number nine. For, for some reason, I've, I'm able to just keep cranking along. And it's literally any, anything else that's gone that length. I've forgotten. You know, somewhere along the way, I've forgotten that the guy was writing the books. And somebody will say, oh, did you read Did you read volume 906 yet? And it's like, who's? <laughs> oh, oh. oh. The epilogue, it might be over. Yeah. Well, she's she's very from listening to her talk on Facebook, she's definitely looking for an end point because she ain't getting any younger, <laughs> as she puts it. <laughs> this woman had a question. I was gonna, I was gonna mention the fact that one of the really, really lovely series that you have is the Mackenzie series, yeah. And you start out with the, the first three brothers, yeah. And then, oh, yeah. by the end, you're going back, you're, you're, you're time traveling back into their ancestors, and you know, and now the kids, yeah. and, and, and now the kids, and you know, it's not, it never gets old because you're bouncing around, you know, and, and, and even before you started going back in time, you were, you know, doing the, yeah. the brother that, you know, was basically born outside the um, I'll just repeat what, what he said. So, she's saying that I have a series called Mackenzie's, and it's a Scottish historical series that started out with the four brothers, and then eventually I, I, I had about six of those books. It's, I did more than I did a nephew and a, an illegitimate brother. And then I went back in time to the 18th century and the, the Scottish uprising in the 45, and I did three books there. And then I came back, and now I'm doing the next generation. So I'm keeping that series going, but I'm kind of saying this is this piece, this is this piece, and that's um, so. Uh, here's how to market uh, Tuesday. The first book of what I'm calling McKinsey's Two comes out, and it's the oldest son of the, the son. So, and I've got a lot of good. My pre-orders are very high, so. People are still People invested in the series, I guess. Well, I think that's one of the advantages that uh, the romance genre typically has over the uh, science fiction fantasy series issues, is that in romance you have connected stories, but each story stands on its own. So if you, if there's 20 books in a series, you can pick up any one of them, read it, and have a satisfying experience. You don't have to worry about what came before or what came after. You can read them in any order and still have fun. Uh, whereas I think in, more often in fantasy or science fiction, there's a series arc that if you don't get it at the beginning, it's harder to get a whole figure out what the heck is going on. Oh, it would be impossible. I mean, the, the series I keep referencing of my own, if you picked up book three, and I know somebody who did that, you know, it's a good story, but you're wondering about a third of the way, or you're wondering what the hell is going on here. You know, who are these people and why are they in this situation? You would hope that your writing is still good enough that they enjoy the story without knowing the background. Well, it was. He finished reading the book and sent me a, a note. Yeah, he reviewed it on more? Amazon and said, I'm going to give this a five-star review because it's it was good enough to keep me, even though I realized I've screwed up and started in the middle. <laughs> then he promptly bought the other, the first two books and reviewed those and everything yeah, worked out well. But I, I sat there reading the review thinking, well, not really thinking, just looking at the review and going blank. is like, why is this guy reviewing this book? <laughs> Read the other two first. You keep raising your hand. Have you, any if any of you had dealings with Smashwords? I, I did Smashwords. Oh, Smashwords. I, I did at the beginning, and uh, when they were still new, 
and I felt as though there it was I don't want a bad mouth. Uh, I, I just did, I just didn't, I, I felt like it was kludgy and it wasn't uh, and it didn't look professional but to me that compared to some of the I mean other people took the concept and did it better following on and so uh, I just I withdrew my books from them and then I went and that was early days we're talking about uh, 2012 because another author I knew said you know because that was right when Amazon brought out uh, Kindle Unlimited and you had to be exclusive to uh, Amazon to take advantage of that and I didn't hop on the bandwagon right away and she did so she ran and managed to you know scrape up a whole bunch of money at the, those early days and then Amazon kept on sort of making adjustments to how it worked. Um, it didn't really get, I think, properly refined it until 2015 when they changed how they paid. Uh, and that's uh, when I really got involved with it. And that's something, that's actually another issue is that subscription services are another big for, way, source of income for people who are selling ebooks as self-published authors. It can be a big chunk of your income. Well, for me, if I had to choose between Smashwords and Draft2Digital, I would definitely take Draft2Digital. Smashwords, Smashwords I, I'm grateful to What's-His-Face at Smashwords because he really started, had one of the first avenues for, that we could self-publish to Barnes & Noble, to Kobo, to Apple, was one of the first ones. But it's like, it hasn't changed since 2011. Still, this they're still doing the same things, and everyone else has kind of moved on. So, draft the digital is, is actually do they, they still call his system the meat grinder? Yes, <laughs> I mean, literally, if you go to Kindle on what I could go to KDP or to draft the digital, you if you have the right document format, Word document properly formatted for your computer, basically, you upload it, it's, it's for sale in 72 hours. The last time I tried to upload anything to Smashwords, exactly the same quality document, it took four tries. At which point I quit on that one and pulled the other books out because I'm thinking I'm spending days trying to get this book up to these guys and they're not selling. The books aren't selling through them, so I went to draft. Okay, so Smashwords, no. No. <laughs> Don't even. There's one other thing that's interesting about self-published books in that 67% um, of the top-ranked self-published books are by women. This is a, so this is an opportunity for women. It just happens to be that more often men are, are ranking better with traditionally published books. We're not sexist. Um, and, but women can make, can, it, because and also women tend to write romance more often than men do. Right, but romance is huge. Romance is a, it's what is it? Huge. It is $1.44 billion. Yes. And I, I mean, if you don't, I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of guys that love romances. So oh, yeah, I do too, yeah. I mean, they There's just don't want to tell their buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does romance include erotica? Yes. 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 Well, erotic romance. Erotica is a different. different, but erotic romance, because romance has to have that happily ever after, mm -hmm. and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's polyamory or whatever, but it has to have that, that H-E-A, as we say. By erotic romance, do you mean what's called sexy romance versus sweet romance? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, sweet, ro sweet romance is no sex on the page. Erotica is Erotic explicit. romance is really, really, I, I say if there's toys and multiple people and, and kink and stuff, that's erotic romance. Steamy romance can just be, um, you can have a lot of sex on the page, but it's kind of, it's kind of vanilla. It can be really intense. Uh, it can, there could be a lot of it, but that's still not erotic romance. So there's kind of three levels. And some of the erotic romance is really, really erotic. And you'll find that in uh, erotic, not all, but a lot of erotic, erotica and erotic romance, the language is used is more raw. Yeah, I would say you're right. Yeah, and sweet romance, no. There's no language. <laughs> it has to be able to be read for a pure Christian. You know, they have well, I write, I write some sweet, and that's not Christian. That's okay. not inspirational. Right. Um, they they no, Hallmark. They Hallmark movie. But Hallmark, yeah. yeah. Mm. And I'm really think, looking at the idea of like maybe I should write, you know, go more towards that, because Hallmark. As a friend of mine who does write uh, romantic comedy, and she always writes sweet. 
we've also we've been talking about this a lot and saying you know, you'd think that with all of the Hallmark movies out there, somebody would be getting tired of this and we, they would be losing market share, but they're not. I think that sometimes people are sad. Yes. And they just need something warm. Well, at this time of year too, yeah. Christmas, the Christmas Hallmark movies. Exactly. Um, they just want something warm in their life. Yeah, that can happen when you're a writer too, because then I mentioned you know, the short novel Toby, which is not. So I wrote that just as things were starting to go to hell with you know, politics and all the rest. And I realized after I got done writing this thing, it's totally mainstream. There's no fantasy science fiction elements to it. It's about a guy taking a dog home where it belongs, giving the dog back to its owners. And I realized that what I'd written that it was my own antidote <laughs> for for the times because I felt I got done with it. I thought people can read this and feel good about it. I was like, yeah, I feel good. I feel better. <laughs> See, people need that. That's why we read is to escape, to feel better, to try something different. Oh yes, you know? books were my drug of choice right. during they still are. Going up spaceships. <laughs> and I was thinking of something you had said about how the teen books, more paper books are sold. Well, I'm thinking that's because there's nobody controlling what they go and get at the bookstore and they can carry it with them and no one's looking over their shoulder at what's on their ebook and no one, you know, it's like a secret for them. That's so what I was thinking. Yes? Have you had any luck with uh, two booktubers? Don't know what that is. Uh, YouTube. So, oh, yeah, with book reviewers, or group on YouTube, yeah. then they have a whole big following, and they help people, they make their yeah. books. Well, it's kind of like they decide. Sell what they like, and also on, on TikTok as well. The book talkers is the same thing. Um, I've started getting on TikTok to book that book talkers were like, Oh, what does she write? Let's let's recommend it. You know, it like, has to be organic also, for them, or yes. Something. It has to be organic. Mm -hmm. You can't really say, Here's my book, will you review it? Yeah. They won't do it. Book bloggers, I, I imagine one or two would, but. The most part, they, yeah, they, that's why I've, I've, I've tried to contact them, you know, try to stay on what they're interested in. Nope, yeah, they just don't really interest. Right? Have you tried for your TikTok to review their books? I, I am doing that. I'm noticing that I just started on TikTok, so mm -hmm. like it's been like a couple of weeks. Um, I noticed that the videos that get more, more uh, plays and more looks is when I'm talking about someone else's books. And when I'm posting stuff about my silly cats, no, I just say I love these oh, books. These have are you wonderful. Book with your books in the background, and they'll be like flutter. No, <laughs> yeah, I should. It. That's a good idea. I'm gonna watch your TikToks now because I like books. <laughs> yeah, like the cats are the stars now. <laughs> well, we are out of time. Okay. Oh yay! And I, I watch things I'm running. I don't know why it does that. <laughs> I'm not running. Let me see the time. No. <laughs> well, thank you all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. New book coming out. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.